Welcome everybody to the Risk Taker Paradigm. I'm your host Jay Song, and today I'm here with Vince or Vincent and his uh, business partner Adam Hager. Uh, if you guys can introduce yourselves. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm I'm Vince uh, from the Northeast. Um, actually, I have a background in medical device sales for several years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Adam, I'll let you hop in. <laughs> awesome pleasure to have you guys and uh you guys are uh, in the airbnb space i met vince a couple months ago at uh the mastermind um how long have you guys been doing airbnb for Okay, right. same thing as me then. Yep, yep. And and these last five months have been very intense. So like it it once we decided to start the the mentality around it was how do we scale this quickly but also optimize operations as quickly as possible to make this a full fledged business in the shortest period of time. But yeah, you know, a, a lot of mistakes can be made when you do that right yeah of course any any new business venture you're gonna make mistakes and uh, have to figure it out along the way uh adam how did you end up deciding that you wanted to go into airbnb two years ago that was, i'm guessing that was probably at the tail end of uh the quarantine and things like that Got it. And uh, how did that go? Yeah. And, and now that I've been in the industry for a little bit of time, it seems like those are the best deals because you just have no risk up front. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you are making a smaller cut, but still, right? No risk involved. It's just takes a lot of stress out of your hand, especially as a first time operator. Uh, are you still doing like the property management side?
Oh, those are gonna make a lot of money. I, I have a friend who was telling me to go get properties right on the coast of Jersey, just because it's a hop and a skip away from New York, so those tend to be really popular. Uh, the rents on those are honestly pretty insane. So uh, it, it seems like it's a really good deal for you being on the property management side and not having to worry about that. Right, I mean, this particular, two, it's a two family house, it's a duplex. And I know for a fact the, the ballpark range of the house is probably anywhere from, you know, 700,000 to a million dollars, right? So like, if you keep that in the back of your head, that means that if somebody were to try to rent this property, especially both units, this would be extremely expensive, right? Um, however, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, we happened to launch it right at the beginning of May here. And I mean, I, the bookings we've been seeing just in the last like five days are just like, it's making all of our other regular arbitrage deals look like so minor. But yeah. again, you have to keep in mind, typically this is what's expected, right? When it comes to beach houses, like vacation rentals, you make all of your money in the summer in the Northeast. And then the rest of the year, it might be a ghost town. So it's, it's a different different dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the numbers for it. I actually had I was looking at it, and it's it's crazy. It's anywhere from like six hundred to fifteen hundred a night out there, um, in terms of like the Airbnb side. And um, so, so what, what is your guys' plan when it comes to, to those slower months? Do you guys plan on just doing like a long-term rental, seeing if you can get it just booked out just to cover the rent? Uh, I know ultimately it doesn't really matter for you guys because there's no rent you guys have to pay for, but you know, I just wanted to hear your side of that. Yeah, that's genius. Uh, I think that's a very like um, unnoticed part about or, or a, an aspect that a lot of people don't think about is to reach out to your old customers and see if they're willing to stay again at a at a cheaper rate. At the end of the day, you just want to keep your occupancy up, even if the revenue is half the amount. You know, as long as you can keep guests coming in, cover the rent, the owner's happy, and you know, continue to get five star reviews. Yep. Wow, that's insane. Mm -hmm. That's insane. And that was for one month or? Got it, got it. And so what, what did like uh, attracted you guys to, to partner up essentially and, and move into the uh, rental arbitrage space? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So it's funny, Adam uh, actually approached me about this at a time where 
I was like juggling what venture to get into, right? So um, just to put it in perspective to John, uh, I entered a, a, a career and a, a, a quote unquote wagey, a W-2 job that was actually, you know, it was, it was very lucrative. Um, it still is, it still can be, and it's sales, which means I'm entirely based on performance, right? The harder I work, the more of an opportunity I have to make more money, right? So it's very easy to get into the habit of just busting your butt in a sales-based role because there is actually a return on investment. It's not like a nine to five where if I stay until 9 p.m., I don't make any extra money because I'm salary. You know what I mean? So putting that in perspective, I always had this idea of getting into some sort of you know entrepreneurial venture and uh, I've I got into the weeds for a bit and I would actually love to hear a little bit more from you about this later on but uh, I got into the weeds for a bit on Amazon FBA and really diving down that rabbit hole and I just got so wrapped up in the product research side of things and it was like analysis paralysis dude because once you you get jungle scout and then you start researching products and then you start researching manufacturers and suppliers it it very quickly becomes overwhelming if you're yeah. nitpicky about where to start so Adam happened to approach me around that time and he said look uh, I've been doing this arbitrage thing for a little bit now and I want to take this particularly to the next level to where this can become a a job replacing income and a full-time business and I I think I'm going to need some additional help and not necessarily that he doesn't have the skill sets to do it because you know Adam can walk circles around most people I've met right but I think it was more so we can split the workload, A. B, we can have a more rigid sales and prospecting methodology. And C, I mean, let's be honest, we're both working full-time jobs. So having the capability to kind of differentiate tasks and responsibilities and also kind of learn these skills together, it just, it it increased the overall enjoyment, I think. So, um, you know, one thing I will say, there's a lot of negative annotations around partnering Um, And I think that's mainly because so many people get into the trap of I'm going to partner with my buddy because it'll be fun. And the thing is either A, you guys both start making money and then you find out real quickly where, where the real intentions lie. Or B, you know, you don't pick up the workload because you're comfortable with each other. So Adam and I had a, a, a good enough relationship to where we weren't too, too close, but we, we we're consistently holding ourselves accountable and it's it's like almost a professional relationship above all else right so yeah long-winded answer but i I have kind of the same perspective that you were talking about (laughs) i'm I'm not the biggest fan of partners um but i will say this in the beginning i would not be where i am today without the initial business partners that i had when you're starting a new venture and you're kind of new to the space it really does help having a business partner because you're not the risk is split ultimately it's not as big of a risk because you have I had multiple partners at the time and um, it's also kind of you know in the beginning you're not sure if it's actually gonna work out for you so it does essentially um, create an atmosphere where there's other people who believe in what you believe in as opposed to running it at yourself absolutely Um, and and it all depends if you have the right partner right And, and if you've known somebody for a long time I knew my business partners for maybe about three, four months and then I jumped into business with them and I have nothing bad to say about them. We, we did a really, uh, we made some, we did some really good stuff with our businesses in the past, but I think now, I think for me personally, cause I just move so much faster. 
I, I'm not a big fan of waiting on my business partner to agree with my ideas or for me <laughs> to be able to convince him as to why we should do something. So, you know, that, I think that's just a personal preference. I think business partners definitely, especially when you're looking to build something big, it is worth having a business partner. Yeah, uh, John, I, I do just want to highlight one thing you just said because I don't think that gets highlighted enough. It's that the, the major value, other than holding people accountable, the, the other major value of having an, an actual strong business partnership is the shared belief in success. Because once you start going off on an entrepreneurial venture by yourself, it's very easy to not see the success that you anticipated and then start doubting it. And then you, you're doing this every day and you're like, what am I doing? Like, and if you don't have somebody else there that is accountable and that can help push you con constantly just to you know to reach this shared vision it can be much more difficult when you're by yourself you know not saying that you need a partner but there is there's a lot of value in that 100 percent. and i think the main factor of a, a successful partnership is understanding that both people have roles and that both people have to um put in a maximal amount of effort and continue to kind of push the envelope as far as how far you can grow the business right because a lot of people they don't know the other person they get into a business relationship with them and then when things start to become successful one person might take their foot off the gas and if there's not a mutual understanding prior to that one person is going to be working just as hard as they did when they first started and the other person starts to relax and that's where a lot of conflict starts to happen Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one more thing too, not to harp on this, John, but I think this is important also. Uh, it's also just the I think it's the competitive nature of like Adam and I and guys like you yourself as well like we're we're salespeople and it's like the second you start getting into something with somebody whether it's your coworker or you're starting a business with a friend of yours you actually hate to see <laughs> you hate to see your partner outworking you right so there's yeah. always that competitive edge of like dude I if he's doing this I got I have to be doing something you know yeah, and, and it depends really on like the, the chemistry between the two people. Um, I think that when you find a good business partner, they'll work just as hard as you, and if not, outwork you. And then like you were saying, you can feel the need to, to step it up. And if he comes up with a b brilliant idea, you're like, okay, that was, that was genius. Now I gotta do my part and figure out, okay, how do I bring my half of the value so that the other pe person feels like this is a uh, mutually beneficial relationship to where we're both su uh, succeeding and we're both putting in different types of ideas and coming up with different ideas to optimize the business to where everyone's happy. Right, right. Well, so, so John, uh, to segue back into the, the Airbnb arbitrage space for a little bit, could, could you actually tell us a little bit more about the deals that, that you obtained and what your research process was behind that with, with regard to you know, financial analysis and, and just your methodology. I mean, we're, we're all here to learn from each other. Yeah, so for me, I think I was paying attention. I like to pay attention to details. I'm one of those observers. I just watch everything that happens and unfolds in front of me. 
I was noticing that the city that I was looking at was getting a lot of attention and it had some really favorable numbers on AirDNA. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know, AirDNA is a software that we use to kind of identify cities that we can take, uh, take a look at and see if there's opportunity for us to move in there. And uh, I didn't have any business credit, right? I have really good business credit for my Amazon business, but virtually zero starting from scratch. So I had a very similar experience to Adam to where one of my first deals, it was like the first person I called. And uh, like he didn't even background check me. I just got the deal done <laughs> and I took it as quickly as I could. Fully furnished, right? Three bedroom house. Um, it could sleep 12, had bunk beds in there. It was really modern. It was nice. Um, but I think after that deal, I kind of just realized that it was a very unfavorable deal for me because one, the, the rent was a bit higher than expected. And two, I just didn't know much about the business. So even if something brought in an X amount of dollars, I didn't really understand all the other expenses that were included in this business, right? In the beginning, you're just so desperate to get a deal oh, yeah. that you kind of just take whatever lands uh, you know, in front of you. And so I, I, for me, I think it's really important to move fast in any business venture. And I, and I went in with the idea that I would be okay if I broke even all year. I haven't, I've been able to get the house to cash flow pretty darn well, but um, I think the biggest thing was just like getting immersed in it, seeing how to operate, seeing how things work, and that way I can use that data and knowledge to essentially figure out what's a better deal moving forward. And so for me, I, I, I'm a sales guy too. I, I'm, about, I'm gonna call anybody and everybody. I called probably 500 properties on Zillow and uh, I was able to land five deals within the first three weeks. So, you know, a lot of people look at like, oh man, you move so fast, you're able to do this. But at the end of the day, I think it just comes with understanding in sales, it's a matter of volume, right? It's a numbers mm -hmm. game. You just, if you want more customers, more sales, more deals, you just gotta call more at the end of the day. And there's, I've gotten a lot of good deals. I've gotten two houses fully furnished, they cash flow immediately. I've got three other ones. Um, they're all in the same city. They're all three bedroom houses. Those I had to buy furniture for, right? But they're doing very well so far. And considering the fact that I don't have many reviews to kind of go off of. And I think to add to that, Airbnb is a game where the reviews are everything for you, right? The places that have the highest occupancy and the highest rates, they have 100, 200 reviews where people trust that, um, that information and they, they book it because they understand that there's it's got to be good. If there's 200 other people that have stayed there and have left positive reviews, it's got to be a good experience. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm still working. I think it'll get better over the summer. But with that said, um, I am trying to make a transition into apartments right now. Just because from what I've noticed, there's just a lot more expenses with houses um, that I didn't account for. Like, you know, pest control, lawn mowing. Um, and depending on your landlord, they're not always going to fix certain things that an apartment would fix. So um, right now I really do, I have a, a possible deal in the pipeline with Graystar um, and I'm pretty excited about that. I'm, yeah, That's awesome. So I'm not sure if I'm, it's, it's you know, finally there, but I was able to talk to somebody and essentially they, they're having a bit of trouble with occupancy. It's a really nice apartment. The only thing is they've had shitty reviews in the past to where a lot of people have moved out or are not, not interested in, in uh, renting there. And Graystar just, I think, either bought the place or took over. And so, you know, Graystar has a really high standard of how they want their buildings run. So I think this is like a really sneaky opportunity to kind of weasel my way in. 
because they're desperate for somebody to essentially come in and, and, and fill up those spots. And then for me, I don't even care if I make much money on that on on this specific one, even though it's like a, a really nice luxury apartment. Reason being is that I want to get into Graystar and get access to all their other properties. Right, right. The long term relationship. Yeah, and, and it, it's very similar to like the the Amazon business, like with wholesale. Like sometimes you're not going to get the best pricing in the beginning, and eventually you'll get access to a lot more things when they see that you're a loyal, you know, um, consistent buyer or client. To where they trust you, they know what you, they know. You always pay on time. They know that you're someone who operates the business in a very uh, good manner, and essentially they're going to be happy to give you more deals later on down the road. Right. Well, you know what? I'm looking to take five. They're offering six weeks free right now. I'm going to try and push that to eight weeks. And essentially, whatever money I make in eight weeks, I'm going to tell them I want five more units after I essentially take that money back. <laughs> That's smart. I, so out of curiosity, John, um, I, when so for those listening who are newer to this space, right, um, a lot of folks get wrapped up in the analysis phase because you're analyzing markets, you're analyzing pricing, you question the, the reliability of the data on air DNA. Like there's a lot that comes into play, right? So uh, I, I admire your approach because I know for a fact that when you started this, this venture was around the same time we did, you just said, screw all that, I'm gonna hit the ground running, right? And, uh, and you did. So I, out of curiosity, where I was going with this was, when you did the analysis for your properties, your first five, right? How how did reality align to your research? Like, did you see the financial data for your properties and say, okay, I'm going to make $5,000 a month. And then you got those properties and then you made $5,000 a month. Or did you not? It was actually the opposite. And this was a good learning lesson for anybody who's listening and looking to get into the space. So the data did reflect a lot more revenue than I was expecting, but I also had to realize later on after I had acquired the properties that that data is reflecting a lot of the information for more of the high-end properties which I did not have right I would say my properties are like B possibly B plus but the ones that are getting the most money are the ones with like pools jacuzzis like super modern you know glass windows and and those are the properties that are doing crazy crazy revenue numbers so that definitely was a learning lesson for me um, but at the end of the day my properties are profitable and that's all that really matters it's it's better than I could have hoped for because I was just willing to break even. But definitely uh, the data did not reflect what I was expecting. So uh, how do you gauge when a pro like what is pr considered profitable and profitable worth taking the risk? So, and it's funny, the reason I asked this, Adam's probably cracking up right now. We've been debating uh, a handful of deals where the profitability mark is anywhere from you know 500 bucks to 800 dollars a month right and we go back and forth and we say well it's still profitable but on the other hand it's that's a risky profitable because the second it hits slow season you're actually negative right so like uh, you know we all know folks that'll take the negative hit because they're bringing in so much revenue anyway but we're not at that point yet right so like how do you gauge okay it's profitable but is it profitable enough I think it comes with the caveat of getting those free weeks. A lot of my deals that I took, I didn't get those free weeks. Like I was just desperate to take a deal up front. The good thing was I was able to break even my first month, even with all the crazy stuff that happened. I had like 
um, my city essentially froze over in Texas. <laughs> so, you know, I had, oh I had power lines go out. I had trees, giant trees fall in the backyard. I had internet not working, you know. I had one house, literally the power lines were ripped out from the, the, the poles. Like, it was just crazy. So, um, you know, things are going to happen. But ultimately, I think if you could find a deal where you're getting those free weeks, as long as you recoup your in- initial investment as quickly as possible, it just starts to cash flow freely after that. You're, you're good to go after that, right? And this is a business where you can sell those properties off. If you have somebody that has good credit, has income to show, has, you know, um, and you took the deal based on you not having business credit history, well, that's a deal that somebody else can take. And so the good thing I like about Airbnb is if somebody would, would just wanted to buy your property, you could essentially sell your property off and you've already recouped the initial investment. So you, that that's something that you can also think about where you're making money on that as well. So it's, you know, you're kind of thinking outside of the box of just the cash flow aspect and paying attention to the fact that you can sell this business off to somebody. And it doesn't have to be like you selling it on like a, an actual, you know, like, business sale you can sell it there's we have a giant community that you know we're all in there's people that are looking for deals where they can just buy it and do a plug and play type of deal yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah and and there's just so many people like i i put up one of my houses uh for sale uh on, on our uh community and I got like 30 messages. So, you know, there's people that are essentially desperate to kind of jump into their first deal. And um, the only reason why I'm doing that, by the way, for anybody who's listening, it's not because it's not profitable. It's because with houses, you usually have to pay first months in deposit. And for me, I had to put last month. So I put pretty much nine grand up front, even though it was fully furnished. Jeez. So I have yeah. a lot of cash that's just tied up that ultimately, if I can just furnish 10 apartments, I would make more on the 10 apartments than I would that one house. We, we had that experience, too, when when prospecting a handful of properties where landlords would say, yep, first months, last months, um, plus, you know, uh, security. And we it, it was constantly baffling us because we would say, look, we, we don't see this request often. You know, like, is there a way to, to get around this? And, you know, I, I would say such a valuable part of this is is the negotiation before you sign the dotted line and ensuring that you're your concessions are are accounted for because that is huge you know the months free like you said having the opportunity to recoup your furniture investment now i guess that doesn't so much apply to folks that are literally just buying the furniture out of pocket because we know of people that do that too but either way if you get those first four weeks up front free or you get those first two months up front free you know you're able to just immediately take profit and put it back into paying down your expenses or just you know now you have profit you're profitable on day one so um and then for those of for those who are listening who are just aren't even in this business yet or thinking about it you know some of the concessions that would th- that would warrant you know a couple months free is you're offering hey i'm offering hands-free property management i'm offering you know a two to three year lease like there there are so many ways you can position this deal because you're essentially acting as a property manager for the landlord but they're not paying for a property manager you're not taking a fee on their rent um and it's just it's totally passive for them yeah and and if you think about it like let's just say an apartment's two thousand dollars a month if you take 10 units that's 20 grand of income or revenue that they're bringing in which is a significant amount of money to burn if it's five six months for the apartment 
right? So that can be up to $120,000 for six months of vacancies for 10 units. The person I'm talking to at Graystar told me they have 90 <laughs> vacant units. Jeez. So my plan is to just like do a good job and continually reinvest the money over and over and over to where I can essentially take it, you know, take all those properties. Well, probably not all, but, you know, as many as I can. And so um, to kind of add to your point, right, it, it makes sense as to why they would want us to take over because they're just burning so much cash. And, you know, $100,000 is a lot of money, right? And that's only 10. They have another 80 <laughs> that they need to fill. So that's, what is that, like 900000 There's a million, almost a million dollars that they're losing out on if they just continue to uh, have those vacancies. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, and I think your play is actually really smart too, John. Because um, it's funny, I remember you posting that in the chat. And I was like, man, why is he getting rid of profitable properties just for an apartment building deal? But if it if it gives you the ability to have access to Graystar, you know, you're just you're you're entering a whole new pond at that point. And really, you're the world's your oyster at that point. Right. So I I, I think that's a smart move. Free up capital and build a, a really valuable business relationship. Yeah, and it, and it gives somebody the opportunity. It, it goes for both sides. It's not me just kind of getting rid of it so, you know, like someone else can get a shit deal. At the end of the day, they get a deal that cash flows right off the bat from the beginning. Um, I, they have the proof of concept already because I'm already cash flowing it with, you know, evidence. I have three months of proof already. And they're essentially be, um, able to start their business. And for me, I'm looking at it more so like the, the long-term play because even just, let's just say I furnish five, I'll make more on the five personally than I will on the one house. And so it just makes sense to go that route. And then with, you know, obviously the, you know, apartments giving you concessions, the free rent, I'll be able to essentially just recycle that money and now have 10, 15, 20. And, you know, that, that ultimately is a quicker growth for my business than to just wait for the money to essentially kind of run through and wait for my last month's rent where I'm like, okay, I get 3K for free technically because I don't have to pay rent the last month, right? I'd rather essentially grow the business now to where nine months down the road when my lease is at the end of the term, I'm gonna essentially have a lot more um, properties by that point, have a much better relationship with Graystar and be able to capitalize um, and save time, really. I think any any entrepreneur wants to figure out how can I grow the fastest, even if it means giving up something in the, in, in the short term. Do you do you feel that the apartments will still be less profitable per unit than the houses? Um, because I guess you know the guys that we learned from. I know that that was a big thing for them. Is you know the apartments are less profitable. It's just they're more they're more it's more quickly to scale with pro with apartments because i can take five in one deal or ten in one deal etc well here's what i've learned is that um with houses the, there's just um for example i have three bedroom houses so they're a lot bigger than you know a one bedroom apartment it costs a lot more for cleaning fees right off the bat there's more things that can get damaged right because they're just more uh, square feet per house and with an apartment if my houses were on the same block, I could hire a cleaning team. But because they're spread out, I have to use contractors. And so it's not the best option for me. I can essentially lower the expenses of cleaning costs if I can hire an in-house cleaner and have her you know, go through five, 10 apartments in one place, as opposed to essentially uh, having to work um, with five houses individually. You know, And even though they make more profit, ultimately the apartments would make me more in the long run.
how do you plan on identifying and hiring a cleaning team in-house so i think that is one of the, the parts i'm going to have to learn to be quite honest with you i like all my businesses i've run we haven't had employees we've had contractors and we haven't had to really manage them because ultimately they're contractors that can kind of be let go at any given time and even with contractors you have a better relationship with them because um you know when it comes to lower paying jobs there you're gonna have a lot of turnover right uh, they can go find that someone else is gonna pay them two three dollars hour an hour more and they're gonna take it right so that right. is something i'm aware of but uh, i think it's it's really just getting on the ground and, and looking for people to hire um, you know a lot of his uh, a lot of cleaners are hispanic so you know chances are they're going to be hispanic and um you know what, what i've noticed is like paying hourly you can just get a lot more done as opposed to like i couldn't i could pay someone hourly it, it wouldn't make any sense because they'd have to spend 30 minutes each way driving so i'm paying them just to drive so it's probably the same cost at the end of the day uh with the houses Yeah, and it's crazy because you can, like, you know, I think at the mastermind, we saw kind of the numbers. When you actually hire in-house, you're saving a significant portion of those cleaning fees, which ultimately end up in your pocket. And so I think that um, it's just easier to manage with departments, too, I would say, because then you can just go have your VA go on the online portal and file those, file those maintenance claims or requests, right? With houses, like a lot of the times I have to call a plumber, a handyman, I have to call them individually. I have different ones for ones that, like I have one that's 30 minutes outside the city. So I got to hire a different plumber than the one I originally called in the, in the main part of the city. So right, right. I think it would just make my life a lot easier in terms of operations, even though I'm ha I have more bookings and more, um, more units to take care of. So, so what are your, uh, what are some of the things that you do to optimize guest satisfaction because like we spoke about earlier uh on here it, five star reviews are really important so like what do you do to ensure that your guests come to your location they're not dissatisfied they leave you a five star review do you like do you do anything differently to differentiate yourself or do you just kind of like i have a system that works i'm just going to keep repeating it i'm not sure if i necessarily differentiate myself i know some people they'll leave like a basket of gifts or something or they'll leave like i saw uh the how the landlord that i got it from my first property he was originally doing airbnb he had like 150 reviews on there so i knew it was a good location and a good spot that people liked so what he would do is he'd buy like trader joe's wine for like three four five dollars a bottle and you give him a free bottle of wine it would just sit right on the kitchen table so i thought that was pretty neat and i, I continued to do that um and i think ultimately like it comes down to managing your guests expectations if your photographer is so good the property just looks completely different when they show up they're bound to get disappointed right i understand you want them to book it and show up but if they show up and it's not what they expected they're going to be disappointed and not be they're going to be reluctant to give you a five-star review even if they're not going to like shit on you or give you a bad review they're just not going to leave you a review at all which ultimately doesn't help you right right it doesn't hurt you but it doesn't help you and right, so right. 
um i had that same experience one time where we booked a house in los angeles it was there were like 10 beds in there and we showed up and it was just a a shithole like it was it did not look like the pictures so i think one thing is to maintain realistic expectations with your guests and not have the pictures be too drastically different or touched up to what your property looks like and then also i think it comes down to the basics of finding a property that looks good just to begin with where people are going to be happy and, and enjoy the experience regardless of what you have to say i think the customer aspect is a given as far as like the, the support and um, service that you give to them they want you to respond fast they want issues addressed as quickly as possible right but that should just be a given that should just be the baseline right that's not something that you're going out of your way to do right it, it's funny how wide the gamut is of of how airbnb works right so like for example we're talking about apartments we're talking about houses we didn't even touch on lodges and glamping and rvs in the middle of the desert right like so there's there's so many aspects to airbnb and it's just so drastically different than real estate investing because in real estate investing you're focused solely on how do i make how do i make a dollar off of the dollar i put in this house you know how do i how do i buy a good deal how do i find a good deal whereas airbnb it's like it's a lot of it is just based on on marketing and then executing on the marketing so it's like driving people to a listing as opposed to buying you know something 50 cents on the dollar and renting it out right so it's a totally different world in that aspect so do you have any plans on getting into experience type stays because uh, we hear all the rumors about how they're just like insanely profitable. I might, but I don't want, I think I'm a little too early into the game to start looking at other avenues. I think that's something that people do when they're like, oh, this is not working out or, you know, this isn't as easy as I thought. So let me just look at the next shiny object. So yeah, I don't want point. to jump. Yeah, I don't want to jump into anything else. But, you know, it's crazy because those experiences, like, I, I can only imagine how cheap it was for them to like, build a tree house and they're charging some ridiculous amount of money on there for a tree that was sitting in their backyard they didn't have to buy any land or property but they did have to build out the tree house and then you know i'm sure they just built out like a bathroom downstairs or something or whatever and they're probably able to rent it out for 100 150 dollars a night which is a lot of money considering the fact that 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 doesn't even include their mortgage right that's something that's completely different um but i think it's definitely an interesting avenue that i could possibly revisit later as as for now like what i'm doing works so it's just something i want to continue to scale and then when i feel like i've capped out in a sense then start to look at other um facets of the business or industry where i can kind of branch out Well, so I'll say this. Everybody asks me this. They, they're so curious because I do both. And I'm doing pretty well in both. Uh, Air, Amazon is something that is ridiculously crazy during Q4. So, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all that stuff. There's just a ridiculously high elevated number of sales and money to be made during that time. On the flip side, Airbnb is really, really nice during the summer. So it kind of balances out both seasons. So that's why I, I'm continuously scaling both. Um, I think that Amazon is more of a completely hands-off model where you never have to fly anywhere. Like you don't even ever have to leave your house 
with the, the business models that I'm doing. With Airbnb, you do kind of have to make the sacrifice of going to that city, checking it out, shaking those hands, closing those deals, and then hiring people on the ground. But then after that, it's completely automated, right? To where, uh, or, or completely delegated to where you don't have to be in that city anymore. So I, I would honestly say they're, they're both so different, but um, I'm not stopping in, uh, either one anytime soon. I'm just gonna continue to scale both. And I think it gives me a really good uh, place of diversification to where you know I can make some good profits uh, where Amazon's slow during the summer but really great during the winter and while Airbnb profits are pretty bad in the winter I'll be covered on Amazon but then I'll make some really good profits in the summer through Airbnb awesome awesome that's that's got to be challenging man building up two businesses simultaneously I mean I know that you had your Amazon business more well established but from what I understand, at least in my research with Amazon, what becomes challenging is reoccurring sales, which means it's not like totally hands off once you get up and running, right? Like, you, don't you have to find ways to continue driving people to your to your product pages? Yeah. So, I'll, I'll, like, I remember you had asked me earlier in the uh, in the podcast. So you're looking at private label, and that's something that I don't do at all. So private label is when you're buying stuff using Jungle Scout to look at Chinese products with no, no label, and essentially um, putting your label on there and selling it as your brand. That's a really nice business model, but it's not for beginners, nor is it for people with limited capital. What I do is called online arbitrage, and that's actually why I got into Airbnb, because I was already arbitraging something uh, in the Amazon world. And so I only sell name brand, name brand products that people know of. I sell Nike shoes, I sell makeup, you know, I sell um, uh, like, like supplements, OTC, um, general goods, grocery. And so these are all products that I don't have to run a single ad for. I just need to source it at a price that makes sense to where I'm gonna make my ROI. So that's kind of the difference as to what you were looking at with Amazon FBA and versus what I do. I only sell products that people already are aware of and know what it is and have bought in the past. They're just looking to buy it again on Amazon. That's pretty cool. So so you're essentially buying things at a discount and selling it with a slight, you know, profit margin on Amazon because they're products that people already purchased. So uh, interesting. So does that require this to be so much more hands-on than for you? Like, do you have to constantly search for deals? So the good thing about this business is it's also uh, things you can delegate to a, um, a VA. So a lot of my VAs are doing the product research for me. I just really do the purchasing or I do the final you know, analysis on it and then make the purchases. So in the beginning, it does require you to kind of do a lot of work hands-on where you're like got to learn how to find the deals, how to create margins and things like that. The only real difference I would say is that the amount of money you need for Amazon to scale is significantly higher than the Airbnb world. Airbnb, you make your money back as far as initial investment, it'll continue to cash flow for the rest of the one or two years that you have it, right? With Amazon, you just got to keep pumping money into it over and over and over again, which is the, the, the big difference because you have to um, you know, it's a very cash intensive business. You, you need a lot of money. Like those people who are doing uh, $500,000 a month in sales per month, they're buying $250,000 worth of product a month, right? So that's right. a lot of cash to work with. As opposed to if you had $250,000, you're setting up 50 units. No, you're setting up more, 500 units. Yeah, five, well, is that 500 units? 
No, no, it's not five hundred. I think Wait. it is fifty units. Well, if you ballpark what five thousand dollars a bedroom, yeah, fifty yeah, units. I, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not. I'm Adam. You could probably do the quick math, but yeah, I, definitely you could. Fifty it, units is gonna bring you in fifty k after you make your your money back for three months, and then you're making literally fifty k. Let's just say thirty to sixty k every month after that automatic cash flow. Right, so that's kind of the difference, and then like the scalability of Airbnb, I think is so much quicker, especially with the apartment game. Especially if you're already in a uh, complex and they just happen to have ten vacancy, you just scoop them up. You don't do any extra work, and you just recycle the money that you made from the first three months back into the new deals. Right, mm-hmm. so each one has its pros and cons, but I will say this: with Amazon, um, there's two benefits. Amazon actually gives you loans; they give you seven percent loan APR loans. Uh, for six months and they start giving you money when they when you start to uh, scale up so they kind of give you like a a handout right which allows you to scale really rapidly by using amazon's cash flow to essentially buy more products and continue to scale airbnb you're never going to get that opportunity wow and if you if you do borrow money they're going to take a lot more than that right and so that's one of the things that is different and then also with Amazon, because it's so cash intensive, which I personally enjoy it because of how many credit card points I get. And Vince, you know, <laughs> you know how I am with my credit card points. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, I have I have a ridiculous amount of points. I probably have 300,000 Amex points. I have 420,000 Chase credit card points. And I have 150,000 American Airlines points all Sheesh. from purchasing. So, you know. I fly for free so that like you know whatever money that's made in airbnb you know that 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 the difference is i get a lot of free vacations through amazon <laughs> hey so that's that's the one downside of a partnership is uh adam and i have to be like hey man can i use this for a trip <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but you know ultimately I'm a, I'm a one-man show so there's a lot of responsibility on my hand and like you know with a partnership it was really nice because when i was when I had my partners, I could say like, hey, I'm going away for a week. You guys got this. I wouldn't even have to worry about the business, right? Right. And then there was times where uh, she got her one, one week off and I had to be responsible. And, I, you know, you just return the favors back and forth because then she doesn't have to worry about the business. I don't have that luxury of just completely walking away from the business right now. And so I kind of have to be on top of it at all times. But I guess that's kind of the price you pay because I keep all the money. And, you know, with a partnership, you do have to split it. Right. Right. Only on the on the one property. I have a cleaner that I have to I have to sell. Um, you know, obviously when you hire like a Hispanic cleaner, they may not have like a W two or even a social. Uh, so you kind of you know they just want cash. So yep. I'm paying them through that method. Eventually, I probably want to set up something with through Gusto and make it like an official W two. But in this case, it's a contractor pay, so you know it's not really a big deal. As long as I have my receipts and things like that, she sends me invoices, so I have something to you know ultimately expense at the end of the day um and so it, it, it I, I don't know i guess there's just pros and cons to each business and uh, me personally i do like the fact that with amazon like all i need is a computer and I never have to go anywhere right so i can i can work on it on vacation it's not like oh shit like i can't go this week because i have to go to dallas or I have to go to uh, san antonio to go meet the landlord and, and figure out a deal everything i do is literally on a computer and a phone mm-hmm. S- so can you speak a little bit on 
like so the, there's the long distance aspect of investing i so i actually think if i remember correctly your units are maybe two to three hours away from you right so can you talk a little bit more about establishing relationships and getting boots on the ground so that way you don't have to visit that property again right because after that initial meeting you you make the deal with the landlord you do the setup with all of your furniture guys with your handyman and all that stuff and then ideally you never want to have to step foot in the property again so could you talk a little bit more about like how you establish those relationships and then how you automated just the day-to-day yeah i think so i think it comes from like just thinking outside the box like for example, the landlord that I was initially working with, he was an Airbnb operator. So I asked him, hey, I'll help you with, because he wanted to learn Amazon. I was like, hey, I'll help you. Can you just like help make my life easy? Do you have handymen? Do you have plumbers that I can call that you trust? So I was able to essentially find people without having to test them out for the first time. And because I'm like, all, I have four properties in the same city and one 30 minutes out, that those same people can go to all of the same places, all the same houses. Right. So that was like really easy uh, and and an effortless transition for me because I was able to find people just by asking and getting recommendations. And then once I got those people, I started asking them when something would come up. Right. I had a handyman, uh, handyman contact, started asking, hey, do you know plumbers? Hey, do you know uh, electricians? Hey, do you know roofing guys? So those like I was able to get recommendations from him. And uh, a lot of the times, if they're good, they have fair pricing. The people that they know are also going to be good and have fair pricing. So it's really easy for me to kind of be, you know, have have boots on the ground and be completely hands off in that aspect. Um, And then there are times where I just have to simply go on Google and, and, you know, get an issue taken care of by by finding a contractor, plumber, whatever. Right. Okay. Um, And and the reason I ask that is just I, I know that Adam and I like we we had a hard time not a hard time because like we had access to personnel uh, you know pretty quickly and easily just through you know things like turno things like craigslist you know and whatnot but it's 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 finding a long-term relationship that can sometimes be difficult like finding like reliable people like especially when it comes to handymen or guys that are just doing like furniture building where you're paying them you know fifteen dollars an hour or so right like it's 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 sometimes hard to find people that are like real motivated to be there for you in a situation where it's like, Hey, the guest told me that this broke, like, can you be there tomorrow? You know, like that's, yeah. So I heard about something and I actually got an offer from my handyman. He told me that he would handle any issues that arose, uh, like, like kind of on call where if I needed him, he's going to go there that night, whatever. And, um, he told me that, Hey, for $200 a property, I'll, I'll essentially take care of whatever you need. And he told me that that would include repairs for minor repairs. And if it was something significant, he would uh, do it for me at a discounted cost. So that's one way to go about it. I think having a good handyman helps because those guys are doing like they're they're kind of contractors, right? So they're going job to job to job. So a lot of like the small requests that I have that like, you know, I don't have an assistant on the ground. I just call my handyman and it's something that he can handle. He's, you know, he's um, much more of a fluent speaker and. I, I'm able to communicate with him very uh, effectively and kind of have him go do random stuff. Like the other day, I needed batteries switched on my door line. I just sent him, right? And so it, it definitely helps when you have a good handyman that can do other stuff instead of just like repairs where, you know, they're they're happy to take your money and, and do work for you. But it depends on finding the right person 
One thing I, I did do, <laughs> I, uh, I was able to get the cleaner's information for my old, uh, my landlord that gave me the first property and now she cleans four of my properties. And so <laughs> she, she has my schedule and everything's automated on that end. If it was turnover, it'd be a massive headache. It's like a new person every single time, right? right? But with her, like I have a really good rate with her and she does very well and she's like, it's always on point and so. The only time I really have to give her any instruction is if something's broken or damaged. I need like all the pictures or whatnot. And then outside of that, if I get a last minute booking, I'll let her know, hey, like they check out tomorrow morning. Can you make it? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, okay. I've, had, I've dealt with some of the internet issues too. How do you guys go about it? Because I know obviously guests, you know, really expect to have Wi-Fi to be able to use the TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you guys go about it? I had an issue the other day myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? <laughs> it's truth. He's, on, he's right about that. And the funny thing is, is like sometimes if you give your guests like kind of blunt and obvious answers like that they just you know they go oh duh sorry you know like it's i can't tell you how many times we've seen messages where guests are like like you know you you see a notification on your phone and it's like the internet's not working and then we don't even get the chance to answer and then they'll answer two minutes later and be like never mind like i i unplugged it you know just something like that it that stuff arises all the time but for like the nitpicky like there is an actual internet issue or there's like uh, like an an air conditioner issue like that's when you need that reliable like handyman contact yeah I've, I've had some of those too like you know they're like the door code's not working and then i, I go to address it and then two minutes they're like oh never mind <laughs> <laughs> and you know you just kind of laugh at those because they're just such simple fixes but some people they just uh they reach out to you just really really quickly mm-hmm now, where, where do you guys see the space going? Because obviously there's a lot of people moving into this industry right now. Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, so uh, I'll keep it short here because um, I, I know that we can go on a go down a rabbit hole on this. So I actually, I recently joined a, there was a live like Q&A slash uh, like seminar type deal. It was, it was on LinkedIn. I got a notification for it on LinkedIn and it was hosted by Insider. So it was a bunch of real estate um, reporters and they were hosting like kind of like a public forum for this virtually. And they're talking about how Airbnb's revenue projections are lower. And, you know, this in 2023 so far in the spring, it hasn't been as strong as last spring. So, uh, look, I, I get that there's a lot of there's a lot of hysteria out there with regard to the Airbnb bust or maybe, you know, the there was a there was a bubble and it's no longer there or this and that or that things are declining a little bit but if you think about it for a second there are not less people in the world there are not less people traveling in the world right and if 
there's definitely not going to be less of a need for short-term rental, right? So if you keep that in the back of your mind, I think that that's very important because the industry is not going anywhere. The only thing that could happen is there are either A, more competitors to Airbnb, like VRBO and some of the other similar platforms, right? And those competitors will have to gain traction. Uh, or B, the guests are going to go to a hotel. So I guess I'm a huge believer in the 80-20 rule. If a guest is going to stay with you, there should be a reason why. And you, you have to beat out these competitors based on price or the quality of your listing. And I think, you know, 20% of the properties are going to produce 80% of the revenue because they're a differentiation in the listing, whether it's design, whether it's like an experience, quote unquote, stay, whether it's pricing. So like, I think the best listings are always going to do the best. And, you know, our mentor said something to us not too long ago that I think I overlooked for a long time. And it's that if, if a family is traveling to a new city and there's 10 of them, that means they're going to have to rent three or four hotel rooms, but that could be one Airbnb. So one Airbnb already differentiates somebody having to rent two or three different hotel rooms because it's a large family. So the larger, the better, you know, typically, but yeah, a lot of different directions, this industry. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people are scared of saturation, but you know, if you're going into any business venture, you should be expecting or aiming to, to get to the top 10 percentile, which those people would never have to worry about oversaturation at the end of the day, because they're going to outperform everybody. And so that should be your goal. And so that shouldn't, deter you from jumping into an industry because here's the thing people have said amazon saturated right and i've I, the people in in my circle i've seen their revenues double triple quadruple so i mean is there oversaturation or you know are people just too lazy to differentiate themselves and separate themselves from the average seller or the average airbnb host that isn't doing them doing the uh or doing them themselves the justice to stand out You're absolutely yeah, right. And, and, and I think the thing with hotels is that it's just uh, it's a little bit different of an experience, right? Um, hotels, they can be somewhat cheaper, but one, the Wi-Fi always sucks at a hotel. Uh, you do get cable, but you don't get like Netflix or anything like that. There's usually no way to even add Netflix to those TVs, right? And a lot of people, they don't even watch cable anymore. They watch um, Netflix and HBO and things like that. Right. And so... I think it in itself it's a whole different experience and the cool thing about our industry is that we love long-term bookings and for example this is a thought that I had yes um, people are scared of you know uh, a depression or you know a recession or whatever but at the end of the day a lot of people are sick and tired of this work at home stuff especially business owners people are gonna have to start traveling to work again right that luxury of working from home is not going to be there anymore, which is going to increase travel. And also, too, I think a lot of people just love to travel right now because of the fact that we were locked up in the house for an entire year, right? I've seen more people travel than I've ever seen before because they just they, they kind of have this thought that life is really short. Right. Well, you know what? It, it is a fact, though. I will say this. It is a fact that revenues, as compared to this time last year, are down on Airbnb. So now, I mean, my assumption is that has to do with fears of recession. People are thinking maybe I don't want to spend as much money right now, or inflation has gone relatively high. And because of that, people have less disposable income. But there, that's, there still is a question mark, you know, why such the, 
the drop in revenue on Airbnb. So I don't know, John, what do you think? Do you think that there is a reason that we're seeing this or is this temporary or, or what? I, yeah, I think it's definitely the recession fears. I think there's been a lot of articles on the news in regards to like people not having a lot of savings. There's not people with a bunch of money anymore, right? Um, there's people that are getting laid off, so they're not willing to, to vacation as opposed to like last year, they had a bunch of money, there were no layoffs, they were adding jobs, and they were working from home. They could literally travel and then go work in their Airbnb. So I think that definitely plays into that. But I think there's still room to make money, right? So even if I made uh, $500 a house, which is on the lower side, uh, I'm still making money. And I'm working for myself, and most of the work is delegated out. So it's not something that I'm too... Um, worried about personally even if revenues do go down there's still money to be made and it's better than working for somebody else and and hoping that you can get a raise right right yeah of course and then i just want to ask one more thing before we finish it off how many uh units are you guys currently managing 10 okay cool and that's with the property management deals Okay, got it. And what what are your goals for the end of the year? I know we have another seven months here. Fifty one bedrooms. Okay. Got it. So you're essentially trying to get to like that hundred k revenue mark somewhere around there. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. Okay, cool, awesome. It was a pleasure having you guys. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Of course. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys, it was a pleasure, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, John. Take care, bud. Bye.